Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. This week in episode number 54, we are starting a three-part series on biblical interpretation and understanding. Now, we realize that none of us are biblical scholars, but we feel that is exactly what our podcast highlights. Ordinary people who are seeking to follow Jesus the best that we can every day. This includes constantly studying the Bible to see how we can better represent God to the world. We start the discussion this week talking about inspiration, interpretation, and what non-scholars should be doing about difficult passages that have caused debates for millennia. As a note, the third episode of this series will feature Dr. John Walton from Wheaton College, so if you have any topics you want discussed or specific questions, please submit them to us before May 22nd. Now, let's jump into the discussion for this week. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, joined here with my wonderful co-hosts, Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. Hello. Oh, hi, Tim. What was that? I tried to make my voice sound more like Sharon because yeah. in the last episode, Tim said that he wished I sounded more like Sharon. And I almost got kicked off the podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. And then when you almost didn't show up for this one, we also, again, almost kicked you off the podcast. But then we realized that you do all of our back end stuff. So we kind of yeah, have to we, you around. So we're lazy. But yes. But not well, apparently, most of the time. That's true. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> all right. Listen, I have one thing I want to bring up. I've talked about it on the past two podcasts. Can we finally talk about Avengers Endgame? Finally. Is that possible? I mean, Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, I saw this article, okay? And the article was sa said, I'm trying to remember the name of the article. Is it the it MTV article? I don't know. No, it was about spoilers. And it was had to do with oh. like Endgame and because yes. that Game of Thrones episodes and stuff coming out. And just how basically it was posing the question, does a piece of like art... I don't know, like media, art, movie, TV kind of thing, have to be completely like surprising to you in order for it to be good. And if it does have to be, like if someone telling you the ending is going to completely spoil it for you, isn't it, wouldn't it be a lesser quality item to begin with? No. The were posing. You know what that's like I saying? I don't know, Tim. Here's what it's like saying. Oh, here's the gift I, gift I wrapped for you. Oh, by the way, here's what it is. Why don't you unwrap it now? It but if it was a good enough, fun. if it was a good enough gift, it wouldn't matter. Wait, <laughs> it'd be better if it was not spoiled. Wait, so are you saying that you've never read the Book of Revelation? Ooh, zing! <laughs> we all know how it's going to end, but it's going to be just as good. <laughs> That's right. As if we didn't. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. We just <laughs> we you, you hardcore. 
Anyway, I, the I, point I, is, I get is both sides, but I don't. I do not get both sides. See? If it was a good movie that has a great ending, especially a movie like Endgame, which has been oh, years in the making, when you blab it uh, on your social media page, I think that is annoying. Now, that being said, the only way I would agree in on the other side would be people can choose not to be on social media for that week. Like if you really care right. that much, you shouldn't penalize people for posting on their private or their, um, their personal social media account, what they think. If you can't go that long without social media, that's kind of on you. However, I will say that if someone like, I'll give you an example, my brother and a friend, they were walking into the theater um, after we were seated and someone yelled a big spoiler, which I'm going to spoil end game. Have you seen end game now, Jordan? And Rob, you've seen it? Okay, so if you have not seen Endgame, now you want to fast forward a little bit uh, if you're listening to this episode. So, But, but Spider-Man has already spoiled it, so I mean, they, go ahead. They spoiled, spoil they yelled in the theater, Tony Stark dies. Now that just ruins a great part of that movie because even though we have- But it, was, it less, was it less emotional for you in that moment watching that because you knew it was going to happen? Well, that wasn't, I didn't hear the spoiler. That was my, okay. this, this was my brother and his friend. But if oh, someone gosh. told me that, I would have been waiting for it. Like, okay, wait, is it, or yeah. I would have been thinking, okay, how's, how, I know Tony Stark dies. So if that's the case, how does this happen? It just takes away for me the, okay, how's it going to unfold? How's it going to unfold? So, but that, that's besides the point. I don't want to take up too much time with dumb, giz, because that's a Gizmodo <laughs> article. And a lot of the articles are ridiculous, but the I don't movie, know. I kind of, no. I kind of agreed with it. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. And now that I know how strongly you feel about it, I may go out of my way <laughs> just to ruin things for you. Well, did you so, guys enjoy the movie, mind. though? I Spoiler alert. I, wow. I'm going to. Wow. <laughs> um, I loved Endgame. It was worth it was, every it was minute. Good. It was very I good. Didn't, I didn't get up once to pee. Um, it was a phenomenal movie. So, ah, you have your – I see you're holding your stub uh, up from the movie. Yeah, yeah, it was phenomenal. I was so pleased with it. I also felt that way. <laughs> you yeah, sound I, that way. I had a friend that thought it was too rushed, but I asked him, I was like, did you watch every one of the other 21 movies? He's like, no. I said, well, then that's why it felt rushed. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing about all the of it. Well, I would say Avengers is the first one and the last two, not so much Age of Ultron, but they all have been like a culmination of everything coming before that. So you kind of have to have everything in context in order to appreciate it fully. You right. can't watch just that movie and be like, this is an amazing movie. It's really the everything all together is right. an amazing series of movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, you can follow the storyline. Like if you, it's, it's a good movie in of itself and you could follow the storyline, but you won't get all of the intricacies of the backstory of every character and why this scene was filmed the way that it was. And... Yeah, I mean, it was just very well done in that regard where both sets of people, could, I think, could appreciate it. Well, yeah. at, a, at a minimum, you would have to watch Infinity War to even understand anything. Sure. Oh, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. That would be like a baseline minimum. But even then, like you guys said, you're going to miss out on Ant-Man, what, what he's doing, how why it's a big deal that he's back. Um, yeah, I, but anyway, all that to say, I waited. I saw it. It was wonderful. I'm seeing it again <laughs> in a few days. I thought the ending battle was amazing and epic, and uh, they definitely sent off um, Iron Man really well, and I thought with what they did with Captain America 
and how they kind of aged him, I thought was also really well done. And yeah. I'm excited now for Spider-Man Far From Home because that obviously plays – now they're opening up, like, the multiverse, which is a huge other way to bring in all kinds of crazy characters. So I'm very excited for the future. Yeah. I thought it kind of, like, completed everyone's story arc in a very nice and kind of natural way. And it wasn't so much that things were super surprising. Like, there weren't any really huge twists or anything. Right. Um, I mean, you expected somebody to die. You just weren't sure who. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was kind of it was kind of where everyone expected it to go. And they did a really good job with it. I am, though, I feel like whenever you throw time travel into a story on any level it for me it like takes a little bit of something out of it because it's almost I feel like as like a, a writer and a storyteller <laughs> that it tends to kind of it's almost like a cop-out kind of and like you couldn't figure out how to make this work without time travel but that being said I thought that the way they didn't make it like a huge huge part of yes. the whole movie yes. was good it was kind of like a smaller Yes. real quick and it was key to to moving things along but it was kind of like a smaller we're not going to get too into it yes we're gonna call it out that it is complicated well yeah. i was af i was afraid that it was going to become a whole like just mainly time travel movie but like you said right. Jordan, it was maybe a, an hour tops of a three-hour movie so it's only yeah. like one third of the movie which i thought was really good and it wasn't like about the pitfalls of time travel like right. they mention it but it's not like they spent a whole lot of time and I, I like how they, they brought a new aspect to it, even in that regard. Like, no, everyone has gotten time travel wrong, basically. And <laughs> it was all of the scientists and bright minds that were, that were talking about it. I think the one... So when... when um, what's his name in Black Widow go to um, get the oh. Soul Stone? Mm -hmm. Ronan, Ronan or Hawkeye, but yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. When they okay. go to get the Soul Stone, I mean, from the from the opening scene, you knew, okay, Black Widow's gonna die here. Really? Because I no, up, up I until thought, the, yeah. the point where she let go, I could not tell Me which too. one of them they Me were gonna too. kill off. Because either one could have died. Right, and I think that's like when that scene started. I was like, oh, Scarlett Johansson. It was nice knowing you, <laughs> but throughout the scene i was like oh my goodness they're actually gonna kill ronan yeah and yes. he jumped okay. off and was like i was like wow i can't believe i got that wrong right <laughs> right it, that it just i think every one of those scenes was just done in such a way that even if you expected it it turned out to be something you didn't expect absolutely yeah or they so, made you second guess it in the last yeah, second absolutely <laughs> yes yeah so all, all that to say the the wait the 7 45 a.m ticket purchase the uh 10 o'clock showing opening night was all worth it I, I was very pleased my only slight i think not gripe but i think kind of moment where it was like okay this is a little crazy was watching iron man solve time travel in like 30 seconds <laughs> at home after his daughter's in bed you know he's like right. like i oh, just run this one more time and then all of a sudden boom didn't, time didn't travel you hear him say that he made it into a mobius strip yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly make time travel in the shape of a mobius strip and then you're good that's it problem solved that's it yeah all i can say is i love you 3000 <laughs> did you hear i heard this and i'm not sure it's 100 percent true or not but if you add up all of the runtime minutes for all 22 movies, they're 3,000 minutes long. I have heard that. I haven't confirmed it. 
Mind blown. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. As that's the secret meaning. As a father, that whole scene with watching <laughs> his hologram. Oh yeah, I was weeping like a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Well, listen, um, at some point we have to end this conversation because we have much bigger fish to fry than Endgame. Yeah, this is the whole episode. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how else to transition. Usually I, I've been trying to be better at not just stopping a conversation and saying I'm transitioning. Um, and I've been getting better at it. But with this one, I have no way to to transition into um, our next topic. So, Jordan, I well, we were kind of talking before we hit record what the purpose of tonight's conversation, and I'm going to reiterate here and emphasize conversation because none of us are scholars. And this is really, the podcast is about three normal guys discussing things with their opinion. So it's not about being necessarily knowing the history or the factually accurate things that maybe are way above us. It's just kind of our perception and how we kind of think on these things. That being said, I don't know, we were discussing about this topic of reading the Bible the right way, I guess, or something like that, and how you read the Bible the right way. And somehow we got into this topic of, like, what does that even mean and how do you do that? But mm -hmm. you brought up, Jordan, a top, uh, something before we recorded, so I'll give you a chance to bring that up so we can fight about it on the air <laughs> and argue. Yeah. Well, I want to preface kind of to that, like you said, it's just the three of us. None of us are experts. Um, this is kind of this conversation is a lot just where we are right now. Um, and it's a topic that has come up um, in some of the other conversations we've had, definitely in some of the podcasts we've had. If you go back and listen to some of the other ones, it's kind of uh, influenced sections of the conversation. Um, and basically just the idea that there is absolute biblical truth. Here's, I guess this is my opinion on it and I'll throw this out there and you guys can argue about it and we'll all argue with you too. And then next episode, we'll get someone who actually knows what they're talking about to come on. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, tell us how we're all wrong. But no, um, basically my belief is that there is absolute biblical truth. The Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit and written by these men over however many thousands of years. And it has a central theme and story running through it. And the way that we read the Bible and interpret it, its application for our lives and its application in history, um, people can do that in different ways. And there's definitely areas of our life and areas even of our church and the way we live out our Christian lives that the Bible doesn't address in a specific enough way that you're not going to get a bunch of variants in that. So I recognize that some of the variants that exists in the church and people believing different things in different ways does have to do with that. The Bible doesn't real specifically address everything. And I don't think it, its purpose is to do that, but the things that it does address that we tend to interpret different ways um, doesn't mean that all of the ways that the Bible is interpreted are correct. I don't think that's true at all. I think the Bible was intended to mean one thing. If you look at one verse or one um, 
passage of scripture. It has, like you were saying before, Rob, it does have different layers and it has different contexts. It has a historical meaning. It has a meaning for us and it has a meaning for in the future a lot of the time. But that doesn't mean that we can say, all right, I take it to mean this and you take it to mean that and we're both right. Even if those two conclusions we're coming to somehow contradict each other or are different from each other in like a fundamental way. Um, so I guess all of that to say that there, I believe there is one correct way in which the Bible should be interpreted when it comes down to each individual passage and how, what that passage means. Um, that being said, I don't think necessarily that every, anyone has it all right. <laughs> there you go. And I, I, I think everyone in a sense would agree with you or else they wouldn't believe what they believe. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> because if I, if I was like, well, no, it can mean all sorts of things. Then how can I ever be sure that what I am now believing is 100% true? So, right. and, and I think that's a starting point for the Bible is God is the author of truth and there is absolute truth. And if you don't start there, you'll never get to a, a conclusion. And that's, that's one of the big arguments. If you look at Christian apologists that are arguing with um, normally debating with atheists, that's, that's really their main starting point. Is there absolute truth available? If there is, then follow those logical conclusions where they lay and you'll get to an absolute authority who would be God in that point. And so I, right. I, I would, I would tend to agree with you that at the end of the day, there is a right way and a wrong way to interpret the scriptures. And we can kind of debate about what that means, but there is in that sense, there is one way that the biblical story should be interpreted. And I think even the Bible project, I, I like how they put it that, we believe that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. It's a unified mm -hmm. story. It's not a story that has inherent contradictions. Yeah, but, uh, oh man, where do you even start? Um, <laughs> you know, the saying I believe something versus actually being that are two different things. Does that make okay. sense? So yeah. I think what, what I'm saying is that the way those statements that you guys made, like there's one truth or to scripture or, that, or that, that there's one way to interpret it. I think that's a, it sounds really nice, but the reality is that for over probably a thousand years now, no one has fully agreed on how to interpret it or what parts of it mean. Now there have been main parts that have been preserved. I mean, there are definitely core doctrines I would say of the Christian faith in scripture that, the majority of, or I would say every Christian sect, even ones that are farther out, even Catholicism or Eastern Orthodox Christianity, Western Christianity, all agree on. So for sure, there are definitely big core troops to scripture. But I think that when most people hear that, they think what, the, what that refers to is how I've been taught to read the Bible is the only right way to read this book. And anyone who disagrees with me cannot be right at all. And I think that's where you run into a ton of danger because don't forget, we're approaching a Middle Eastern book and an early Greek book in a post, and I, I don't mean postmodern in the sense of like that term, I really mean a modern, enlightened 
you know, rational <laughs> belief set that's that the Bible never, the biblical authors never even knew what that was when they wrote it. So I just think it's very possible to put unfair, like, um, requirements on scripture. And then when parts of it don't fit that, we try and bend things to make it fit that certain thing. So like, That's for example, actually, hold on Tim, because what you just said is the opposite of what I just said. You said that we shouldn't, that you can unfairly bend something in scripture to fit what our preconceived, whatever, and the context in which we're reading the Bible. Now, what I'm saying is that the, the absolute truth of scripture exists outside of any of our contexts and any of our times and any of our translations and the the ways that we're all separated now in different in whether it's eastern orthodox or catholicism or protestantism it's because of a human interpretation of scripture that outside of human interpretation has an absolute truth behind it does that but make I think sense it makes sense but i think that raises all other questions like what's the point of truth if no one can figure it out that does that's not true that no one can figure it out because well, we haven't all agreed or because no one, because one group doesn't have everything exactly right. Right. How, how do you know that one of these groups doesn't have everything exactly right? Well, because, what do you mean? Well, how do you know that they do? I mean, it's the same. I'm not, I'm not saying that I know that they do. Right. I don't know that they do. But I'm saying that if through a, over a thousand years, smarter people than all of us have come to different conclusions on reading the same book, clearly it's not so black and white. It's like, oh, just read this book and here's the truth. Does that make sense? And I think that's well. No, I don't think I don't think that it is as simple as that for sure. But, I think but, you can but, come but to different conclusions. I agree, but that's my point: is that modern American Christianity thinks that's the case, where you just read this book black and white, and here's what it says, and that's the end of it. And all I'm trying to say is that while maybe maybe there is a um, a unified truth throughout Scripture, we're sure not getting anywhere close with the way we're currently reading Scripture today. Maybe there is or there is, because that is two totally different things that would greatly affect the basis of this <laughs> Okay, maybe we're on different terms here. I'll give you an example. Um, like Rob was telling me that Tim Mackey has on uh, one of his sermons uh, on the book of Jonah, and he believes that Jonah is not a literal story of a guy getting swallowed by a fish. All right? Okay. And I grew up in a tradition that says, no, that is a little story. Someone did get swallowed by a fish, and that's the truth of Scripture. And if you're wrong, right. you're reading the Bible wrong. Okay. So what I'm saying is that's a truth, that's a quote-unquote truth that probably no Hold one's on. ever going to be able to figure out if it is or isn't. But people okay. have staked their whole belief system on that part being true. My point is that it is either one of you are correct and the other one is wrong. Right. You might not know, you might never know which is which. Right. But I'm saying one of you is correct and the other one of you is incorrect. I'll agree. Just because someone says, this is the way we've always taught it, this is the truth of it, I am I'm, I'm discount that. I'm going higher and above that in my thinking here, is that what your church says is truth doesn't necessarily mean that is truth. I understand that. And I get what you're saying. Just because we've always been taught a certain thing, or because uh, even everyone throughout history has always looked at something a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that that way was correct. What I'm saying is that in the inspiration of God and God being all-knowing and writing the Bible through these men over thousands of years, he did have 
like there is a truth that is given in that and that it exists. You know, the story of Jonah, to use your example, is either literal or figurative. It can't be both. So one of you is wrong. Yes. I, okay. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. Okay. I'm with you on that. All I'm trying to say is, well, that is, that's what I would say. The tradition I grew up on would say, if you read that figuratively, you're in danger of reading the Bible wrong and thus being outside of a traditional view of the faith. And all I'm trying to say is that what I'm realizing in my personal journey or whatever it is, is that people have read this book hundreds of different ways and have all still been somewhat in the Christian faith. But the faith tradition that I grew up in has told me that if I don't read this book a certain way, now I'm not, I'm not close to being a Christian anymore. And they're very, they're very specific things, a literal six day creation, a literal global flood, you know, the book of Jonah being everything's literal or the majority is literal. I don't want to overspeak. So that's kind mm -hmm. of what I'm saying of it. Yeah. Yes. Maybe there is, uh, um, a God inspired truth in scripture. Maybe there is, I or there I, is. Yeah, Hold on, saying, I'm not done yet. You keep saying maybe because I'm, try, I'm trying to get you to make, here's what I'm trying, I'm trying to, to get you to okay. make a black and white statement. Tim. Let me try. Well, I don't think the Bible is black and white. That's uh, in, in some ways. Let me rephrase. I don't think it appears black and white. I think it is. Deep well, down, though. here's the thing though. And again, now we're kind of speculation, but if God is all knowing knew when he gave us this book that since the beginning, we'd be fighting over how to read it. Why wouldn't he just make it super specific, but it's intentionally not. So yes, while I do think there is a truth of God as revealed in scripture, I don't think it's like an instruction manual anymore for how to live my life the right way, uh, like um, line for line. Does that make sense? I think there are big themes and there are mm -hmm. obviously very core truths to scripture, principles, truths, but I've been taught to read it like this is an instruction manual for life. And if you just follow it black and white and don't ask any questions, you're gonna have a great life. And I'm just saying, I think I've been taught to read this book wrong in a lot of ways. Not in every way, but yeah. in a lot of ways. And that's certainly possible that you have been taught the wrong way. Um, and yeah, I mean, I felt like I said that kind of earlier, that there are certainly things in our Christian life that we encounter that the Bible doesn't directly address. And I think that is the source of, you know, this church and that church across the street are not the same church anymore because they disagreed on the color of the carpet or whether they should have chairs or pews. Those are not things, those are things that have caused division in that community, but were not addressed in scripture and therefore were super ambiguous in the end. But the things that scripture does address directly, and it does address a lot of things directly, um, we can know truth through that. That kind of brings me to one of the other thoughts I was having is, is, and this is what I texted you guys about the other day, is that I feel like sometimes this happens in uh, theological discussion or debate that there is a passage in scripture and because we either have seen in culture or in different denominations or even in, you know, different uh, faiths, meaning like Eastern Orthodox, Catholicism, Protestantism, that it is interpreted different ways and to mean different things, that therefore to know what is truth in that is unknowable. And it, it sometimes acts, I think, as an excuse to 
not pay attention to that passage at all. Does that make sense? Can I ask you a question about that? Do you yeah. think though that like you could take a principle out of scripture and apply it in different ways? So it's the same truth, but it looks very different depending on what culture you grew up in. Like how, how we treat the poor here might be different than how people treat the poor somewhere else. Both are very scriptural. It's a scriptural truth, but right. applied differently. That, maybe that's kind of what I was trying to say earlier. It was like, yes, maybe it's the same truth, but how people interpret it, how they take it looks very different. Which I think how, how it affects your actions in the end, yes, can look very different. Well, go ahead, Rob. What are you which, say? which I believe that's why the Bible is not written in black and white. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. You can't do this. Don't do this. Do that. Because it is a cross-cultural book. And I think it's Dr. John Walton that says this all of the time. The Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. And if it if the Bible did say this is how you should treat the poor and these are the things that you should do, and if there's a widow among you, this is exactly what you should do, it just says care for them. That may mean something very different here than it does in the jungles of Ecuador. And the the Bible gives the overarching themes and responsibilities without the specific actions that are tied to them for a very specific reason. Because this is a Bible to be applied across cultures, across times, across generations. And it's a book that can be applied in all of those ways because it's not a word-for-word, step-by-step instruction manual. It's a guidebook that gives you the principles of a good life. It gives you how you are to act as a Christian in these various circumstances, and then it's up to us to apply them. And going back to earlier... I think that's why the Bible um, is the way that it is, because it, if, if it was an instruction manual, I think we would treat it kind of like we do on the first day of the job when we get the employee manual. How many people have actually read the employee manual? Maybe 5%. Mm-hmm. This is a book that's meant to be studied for a lifetime, because if everything was on the surface... I can speak for myself, we would get very bored with Christian living, and we would find other ways to entertain ourselves. But God wrote the book in such a way that it requires a lifetime of study and discovery. And why is church community so important? Because it it takes other people to bounce ideas off of and exchange and discuss and debate and talk about and be a community together. I, I think that's why the Bible was written like it was and why the church was set up like it is. Yeah. Um, I was going to, I was thinking when you were saying that it's a cross cultural book, I immediately thought that also, you know, an across time book, but you ended up saying that. So that was good. (laughs) But I was thinking earlier today because this whole topic and discussion made me think of that verse in second Timothy um, where he's, Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I was just trying to, th- I was thinking about like the uh, historical context of that verse and just thinking like, here's a guy writing, you know, this Hebrew guy writing to, was Timothy uh, Hebrew or was he Greek? I can remember. I don't know if either of you knew that. He was Hebrew. Okay. So Hebrew guy writing to another Hebrew guy in, you know, 
50, 60 AD, something like that. And he's, he's referencing scripture, all scripture, which means he's referencing, you know, the Torah and the Talmud and all of those, you know, ancient scriptures that we think, I mean, it's easy for us, I think, in our time to say, you know, this is, a, this is happening 2000 years ago. And it was, Paul was writing that 2000 years ago, but he's referencing stuff that was written another thousand years before that. You know, when Moses is writing down, you know, Genesis, you know, the, the Torah, um, that's a thousand years before Paul says to Timothy that all of this scripture is profitable, is, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable right now in our time. And it just made me think of that. I agree with what you were saying, Tim, you brought this up when some of you were saying before about the Bible being, you know, a Hebrew book written to a Hebrew audience in an ancient time. And I think that is important to understand the context and to understand a lot of the, um, the, the way they talk about things and, you know, the alliterations and the references and the different, um, types, uh, genres of, uh, writing that it is, that it is important in a historical context, but it just reminded me that sometimes I think in that perception, we can easily swing too far and say, well, this is a book that was just written for those people thousands of years ago. Yeah. And yeah. this thinking about this first this second Timothy verse this way, just re reminded me that like, yeah, I mean, it was written over thousands of years and it was, I mean, the cultures between Moses and Paul might not look as different as the cultures from Paul to us um, on the surface, but they were pretty different. I mean, you're going from a nomadic, you know, uh, culture moving through the desert um, and had been in slavery for 500 years to, you know, a settled uh, state that had, you know, been in and out of, uh, oppression again, and now was living under another, uh, you know, they're living in cities and things. So, uh, I mean, the culture might not be so different, but it still is a different time. Um, and it was just reminding me that like the Bible was written to be applicable to Christians and, and God following people throughout all of time. There's, no doubt about that. I think that any person who wants to dig more into the context is doing that because they think the Bible is still relevant today and they want to know what it's actually saying. Yeah. That's what I think. I don't think that there's, in most cases, I'm sure there's exceptions, but I don't think that most people who are like, well, let's look at the context are trying to get out of wanting to understand the word better or understand or not, or not follow it as well. I think that they're eager to know what is this author in this time really saying so i could take the truth of what he's saying and apply it today or else you run into uh, trouble and i'll give you two quick examples i think that because for some reason most christians read the genesis creation as a literal account and not a poem like it was originally meant to be we run into real problems with, with how we look silly burying our heads in the sand over basic science <laughs> and because we have to stick to a literal reading of this book that was never meant to be literal. And the other thing I think about is, and maybe you guys might disagree with me on this, but what you just quoted, Jordan, that's that, that, that verse scripture is, um, what's the actual scripture again? Um, all scripture is given by inspiration of God yeah. and is profitable. Which I, I think it's true. I think that's true. 
but I don't think Paul was referencing the New Testament that we have today because he didn't even know that would be in existence yet. So, but how many people do we hear take that scripture and take it out of its context and say, yeah, this is talking about the Bible. I guess you could make a case that, you know, whatever under inspiration that was God speaking, not Paul. I don't really buy it. That's just me. But my point is that, you know, people can take this stuff way outside their context and then create other beliefs that aren't even close to what we're talking about. So, so you don't buy that the Bible was inspired by God? No, I do. Or I just, that, I just that verse think, doesn't apply to the New Testament? I, Paul wasn't writing about the New Testament, was he? Do you he think said Paul, all scripture. Yeah, but Paul didn't know what was going to be the New Testament. That didn't God, happen until hundreds knew. of years. Yeah, but Paul was the one under expression of the Holy Spirit, Paul was writing it, right. but I don't think Paul knew what he was talking about. Do you think that, that Paul was in a trance and God was just taking over his body, writing down the words? No, but whose intention is important here? Paul, the guy actually Both. writing the words down. Exactly. Both, Both. In God's, Paul's intention is important, but so is God's intention behind the inspiration to write those words. And while God doesn't need to step into someone's body and control them like a puppet master writing down words to inspire specific words to be written. And I think that when God inspired Paul to write all scripture, God knew that all scripture would include more than the Old Testament. Okay, but I still go back to Paul. In that context, Paul would never know that. So I'm saying that's Paul why you have to look at it in multiple contexts. You can't take that verse just in the context of a black and white. See, I feel like you're looking at it too black and white now because you're saying in this historical context of Paul writing down these words to Timothy, he didn't mean this. But there's a bigger context than that. There is all of history and all of God inspired scripture context in which you have to look at this also. I believe scripture is God inspired. I just don't think that particular verse is referring to the books that weren't even written yet. That's all I'm trying to say. So I'm not disagreeing that the scripture is God inspired. I'm just making the point that for that we can run into um, problems when we start taking scripture and applying to things that was never intended to apply to. I guess we could disagree on, on, on if it was or wasn't. That's fine. Yeah. I'm just making I, that point. So. I agree with your, your overall point that yes, things can... Um, be read wrong and out of context and see it to mean different things than they actually mean. I don't know that it works exactly with this. With that yeah, particular it, verse. This particular Listen, verse. It, it might not, but I'm just making the point. I, I don't I don't want to say the same thing again, but you made a point, Jordan, that that it's either it, that there's absolute truth in the Bible. I'm just mm -hmm. saying if you're looking at that piece of scripture, the author of that book, under inspiration of God, did not have, in my opinion, any mindfulness of what he was writing being that he was intending for it to be in the New Testament. I'm not right. saying that the New Testament isn't God-inspired or that God didn't write that, those things. I'm just saying I can make an argument in a different way for the same thing. That's but you could, And one of could, us is right and one of us is wrong. But you could, <laughs> you, could make, you could make those arguments, you know, about Old Testament writers that were writing books that were prophecies about the Lord Jesus that they had no idea they were writing. But mm. the Lord Jesus in his day took those passages and applied them to himself and then gave them meaning that the original author didn't know he intended to write about. But uh, God, yeah. inspiring those original prophets to write those things down, did know that was going to happen. Hence, you know, see, this is this is how it uh, connects to Endgame, really. Yeah, <laughs> whole time travel thing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a fair point. I'm just making the point. So, that's it. 
What was the other thing you said? Because I had a comment on the other thing you said too. Uh, oh, about the Genesis thing. Here's my question, and we shouldn't get too deep into this, but it's just something to think about maybe in the context of uh, biblical interpretation, is this discussion about the literal versus figurative. And particularly, I don't know that this applies to everywhere where that's in question, but in the Genesis passage, my thinking is always, I understand the uh, that it was written in the form of a poem, um, and that's how it's preserved to us. But why does that automatically mean that it's not also true or not also literal in a sense? So <laughs> does the fact that it's a poem mean that it wasn't six actual days just because it's also in a poem? So I'll take a stab at this one. And sure. <laughs> only so here's my gripe with people claiming a literal translation and unfortunately when when we say oh are you a do you believe in a literal translation of genesis 6 what we're actually asking is do you believe that the six days of creation are 24 hour periods of time mm-hmm. when you can literally look at the text and get longer periods of time it doesn't have to be confined to 24-hour days and you can still be but there's problems with that too i mean i don't remember specifically some of them there's a lot of things that come into play when you're talking about well maybe there were longer times my question i guess is is really not so much about the specifics of that passage but just like when you are looking at things that don't appear to be literal or meant literally because of the way they're written either as a poem or because, you know, Jesus is saying, uh, you know, he's telling a parable, you know, don't look at the speck in your brother's eye before you take the plank out of your own eye. He's not literally talking about someone having a piece of wood in their eye. Um, And we understand that, but it's plainly written that the, the underlying truth is there you see what i'm saying yeah yeah. and the so what i was getting at by by then going just doing that little preface was it just makes me laugh when we we have someone it doesn't matter what side of any debate that you're on you will always have someone that says yeah but the bible clearly states this literally and then points at english words and says, see right there, it says in English this. And mm-hmm. y- you, me, Tim, none of us are Hebrew and Greek scholars. We don't know Aramaic. But I, I think it-, it happens that most of our assumptions on, I'll call these all secondary doctrines, or maybe even tertiary, because they don't affect salvation, they don't affect church truth. But our assumptions and our ties to what we believe is literal or non-literal or applicable or non-applicable, I think is more often than not tied to our translation than it is to the original text. And Mm -hmm. that's not to say we're not going to get, you know, right truth or, or be able to understand the Bible unless we're all Hebrew or Greek scholars, obviously not, but just that largely our assumptions are based off of 
assumptions that have been passed down to us through translation instead of looking at original text. And that's okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that because most times it's totally fine. But there are circumstances where we have to rely on translators. We have to rely on interpreters. And there, there are times where those assumptions are passed from a translator to people that can't read original languages. And that's, I think, where we get a lot of our discrepancies from. Well, that's why it's important to know, like, the origins of whatever translation you're reading, too. Yeah. You know, is it a word-for-word -word translation? Is it a conceptual translation? Um, you know, you're not going to take a concept as literally when you read it in the message as you are when you read it, you know, in the ESV or something like that, which is a word-for-word -word translation. Yeah. And yeah, there's, but there's still people, I mean, Tim, whenever Tim Mackey does like a, a podcast on something, like there's a lot of times where he'll be like, oh, that's funny that, that the ESV or NIV says this when the actual word really means more like this. And I'm mm -hmm. just, I mean, again, this is not to poke holes in like the inerrancy of the Bible, but it is a point. It's important to state here that I don't think that the translations from you know, other languages to English were God inspired. Like, I don't think that like it, it's as holy as when Paul right. first wrote the words. So right. the I translation no, you're saying the translation process itself was right. Inspired yeah, by I'm it. not. I'm okay. not gonna. But and that's kind of. I agree with you. I think. Right, and I think I think my what I'm trying to say in a different what I'm trying to get to is that we read the current Bible that we have as if every word is. In, is infallible and while i'm saying i think yes the root scriptures we get them from is infallible these in uh translations paraphrases rewrites are not infallible and it's important to know that because sometimes the translators have taken certain liberties that we're not aware of and have either shifted a word or changed a word or changed a word that kind of changes the meaning of what maybe the author originally intended. And again, is the is the heart of the gospel lost through this? No, of course not. We're kind of picking on secondary issues. However, when it comes to right living, how the how Christianity inter intersects with culture, it plays a big role because how we read things like Genesis or other things of scripture impact how we handle cultural things like like evolution or you know the big bang theory because of how we read genesis some people read genesis so literally they have no room for anything other than what they think genesis 1 is saying and it runs them into major problems and the world looks at it like i don't get it like this is an ancient book we have this science you're choosing to read this part of the book so literally okay okay like the bible's not the bible's not a scientific book it's, it never claimed to be but we put that like qualification on it like no genesis one it's a scientific account for how the earth came into being but it's not claiming that it's unfair to the bible yeah i agree i think that's i mean the whole talk about like translations especially maybe not especially because i mean even our english translations we think of them as much modern more modern translations yeah. but they really are coming directly from the best you know greek and hebrew yeah. origins that we have even more so now than they were you know, in the 15, 1600s, when they were translating it, we have more original texts now. Um, so if anything, I would say our English versions are better than, you know, the old Latin versions. So anyway, that's to say, <laughs> that's to say that um, I think it, it, it just kind of adds to our responsibility as Christians and as, you know, students of theology and 
biblical study that we have to take those things into account and that we can't, like you're saying, I agree with you, Tim, we can't blindly follow word for word an English translation of a book that was not written in English and has had to filter through a translator to get to us. But thankfully we don't have to do that, you know, and, and Rob, you were saying like, you know, none of us are Hebrew or Greek scholars, but those people are out there. <laughs> there are Hebrew and Greek scholars. And they have podcasts that you can they have to. podcasts. <laughs> yeah. And they have websites and they're, you know, the blue letter Bible where you can read a passage of scripture and you can look at all the Hebrew words right, right behind it. Um, and I, the resources are out there for us to be as diligent, I think, as we need to be and as we possibly can be in our study of scripture. And I think that just all the more so kind of puts the responsibility on us that we can't just say, and this goes back to one of the last things I was saying about when we tend to kind of ignore pieces of scripture because either they're too hard or because there's way too many opinions about them. And how can I possibly have the right opinion after all these people have different opinions? You know, how am I going to have the right opinion? I don't think that's, I think that's kind of a cop out because we have the same resources and the same ability to study, you know, a passage, a hard passage of scripture, whether it's, you know, biblical headship or if it's Genesis one or all of revelation, <laughs> um, we have the resources to study that to the extent in which we need to, in order to understand it and to glean truth from that. Um, one of the things that you're, I think you're right, Jordan. And I think that's the reason why I've been kind of on this path, I think of just kind of realizing that the, no matter whether there is one truth or not, which I'll concede and agree that yes, there is a truth in the Bible the reality is that people, <laughs> as you're smiling at me, the reality though is that people, theologians, scholars, people of the faith for years have been debating over some very important doctrines. Now, I'm not going to say that they're salvational um, as far as, you know, um, that goes. However, I mean, let's just do some of the low-hanging fruit. Um, Calvinism and um, Arminianism and now provisionalism, as we've discussed with uh, Leighton Flowers, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, three big views of scripture that do affect salvation to a very big degree that have been debated for, uh, I don't know, almost, I think close to a thousand years now, or at least, at least uh, 500 years minimum. Um, and that, that people have debated since those times. And I feel like in this culture, we're really no closer to solving that debate. Um, so I think what I'm realizing more and more personally is that, there are a lot of ways to read this book and still be within the Christian faith. And I personally can only speak for myself, but I grew up in a tradition, and I, I say this a lot, but it's true, that taught me that there's only one right way to read this book and that we can know it and, and that if anyone else disagrees, um, they're not really, you know, you should pray for them or they're just misguided. Like uh, one example mm -hmm. I think of, and then I'll, I'll give it over to you, Rob, is I grew up in, in a, in a uh, system that, that did not believe that, that the um, gifts of the spirit, so to speak, were for today, right? Like mm -hmm. speaking tongues, all that stuff. And I was taught that, you know, the people whose churches were like that, they were just, they just weren't reading the Bible right and that their scripture was just wrong and that they were just kind of misguided. And, you know, obviously as I got older and I met people in that tradition, I, as they taught me and told me these things, I would, I then began to understand, oh, actually 
this stuff is actually in scripture and I can understand, even if, even if I disagree or agree, I can at least understand where they're getting it from. They're not, they're not just pulling it out of a hat. Um, so that's kind of for me where, where I've been is like I'm realizing that these discussions have been going on for hundreds of years. And for anyone to think that, oh, I've solved, you know, it's definitely this reading of this part of scripture. There's no other way to read it, I think is very ignorant. And I was once listening to a sermon by a guy who's, you know, I would I would call more literalist and uh, hardlined and and that that type. Um, and one of his points was basically, if it's new, you can probably throw it out. And you know, just appealing to there's been thousands of years of Christianity who have studied the Bible, and if you're coming up with some new doctrine or new theology or or new way of looking at things, it's probably wrong. And I, I think that gave a lot of a lot of discredit to even current day research and scholarship. I, I think the past you know hundred hundred maybe even fifty years has given way to new ways of interpreting the Bible, new ways of interpreting a specific passage, ways that are, are better to understand a particular story or a particular way. And, and I think that kind of mentality discredits any scholarship that's going on right now. And, you know, look at, I could, I could name a hundred professors at universities doing research in Ugaritic texts that we we didn't have access to 50 years ago 20 years ago and it's it's giving discredit to all of that in a in a fresh understanding that now we have the resources we have this backlog of data and we can better understand things and and i think that mentality is is very prevalent in christianity and i think needs to be tossed out well not only that let's take a step back the reformation was new at one point Right. At one point, the Reformation was progressive. They defected from the only view of any kind of Christian church, the Catholic Church, and said, "We're so we disagree so strongly with you. We're going to start something totally different and a whole different movement." And that was at that time groundbreaking, cutting edge. It was progressive. That's what that was. It was a progression of the Christian faith. And it's funny because. You know, the Reformation was founded on the idea of always reforming, meaning you're always going back to Scripture to see what it's saying, to read it better than you did before, so you have a better version, or you, you have a better and more accurate view of what it's trying to say. But it seems like, and this happens throughout history, but we're alive now, it seems like there are groups of people who look back at the Reformation and almost think like, Okay, it's closed revelation. Okay, well, God did his big thing with the Reformation, and now here's our new version of God's inspired word, and it can never change. We can't reinterpret Scripture any differently. We can't think about it differently. But here's the irony. I actually have some examples, if you guys are cool with it. So I'm reading this great book um, called Christianity's Dangerous Idea by Alistair McGrath. I've read it before. It's a history of the Reformation. It's really readable. I recommend it to every Christian out there. It is so eye-opening and it's so helpful to learn. So uh, I wanted to bring up a, a very funny kind of ironic thing. It just kind of, it just goes to show you how even, um, even in the Reformation, interpretation of scripture has shifted over the years. So back in the, I have it here actually, hold on, pull it up. I even wrote down the page number. Uh, okay. Hold on. 
Okay. So, um, in this part of the, of the book, he's talking about just um, in regards to how people have read scripture in different ways. So he cites that um, in the um, 1500 time frame, 1500, 1600s, the the reference to Matthew 28, I think it's uh, 28 9, where Jesus says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the, to the end of the age. Now, we read that as a command from Christ to us, the believer, to go and make disciples. Well, from the year 1600 to almost, um, I'm sorry, 1500 to almost 1800, that scripture was interpreted to mean only for those apostles. That's how they read it universally. That's how the church read that scripture. That was never meant to be for the lay person. was never designed for the clergy. It was specifically Jesus talking to his original 12 disciples to go and preach the gospel. Now, obviously, we look at that scripture and we go, that's crazy. Obviously, he's talking to us directly. But that's just one kind of more lighthearted example, but it's still powerful of how the church has interpreted scripture differently, even the, Refor the Reformed Church over the years and how they've shifted throughout, throughout the years to change things like this from being not for the every uh, everyday believer to now of course every christian has an obligation to preach the gospel and we pull it from well we we pull part of it from matthew um uh 18 uh, verse 9 yeah i think i agree with you that the our understanding of scripture does have to continue moving and like you're saying progressing and reforming and i think the key part of that is that it has to do that in the direction of getting closer and closer to scripture you know closer right. and closer to what mm -hmm. was actually intended and obviously that's a difficult process and some things are hard to know um what's dangerous is that some people take that uh mission of reforming our beliefs and um, continuing to be closer to truth within our beliefs, but they don't use the Bible as their ultimate uh, authority in that. You know, there's, there's movements more towards experiential theology or, you know, uh, Holy Spirit, you know, personal revelation and Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of, uh, movement towards that, like in the charismatic churches. And I was just thinking about, I've been listening to that uh, podcast that you sent to him about uh, Bethel and this girl who left Bethel. And, you know, that was a big thing in that is that, you know, there's there, they can be all about this, like, you know, what's God saying to you? What's God saying to our leaders, you know, here in this church, and they're not using the Bible as their authority in that pursuit to be closer to truth. And so what happens in that is that really, you know, what they're, they're believing and uh, what they're teaching and things, it, if anything, it's spreading further from, from the Bible, you know, and further from scripture because it's going towards, well, Joe so-and-so over here heard this from God and Bill so-and-so over here, um, his last name's Johnson, uh, said, heard this from God. Um, and you know, those are heading in different directions and really we're spreading away from this central authority that we have that we need to be heading more towards as a community. I don't disagree, but again, 
how you even how people even see that statement that you just said about being more you know accurate to what the bible's saying people read this book differently there's just i mean again core truths i'm not talking about core doctrines okay in bethel as well they believe in the atonement they believe in the in the cross they believe in all that they preach all the time i've listened to many of their sermons so i'm not talking about that stuff but i'm talking about as far as like living as far as like how we view our theology as far as how we view parts of god i mean welcome to the club people have been debating this in the faith for so long i and even like like, like the one thing i just quoted about how the scripture or even how um even how even more silly things like even how music when it was first introduced they were immediately on different on different uh, parts of of should it be music should it not be music and it should be only psalms because that's just sticking to the bible oh no we could do songs that aren't you know psalms that aren't in the bible we can sing those as well the, 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 that the I guess my question to you, Jordan, is like define your terms. What does that mean to me to be more Bible-centric? Because if we're talking about just reading Scripture, there are a ton of things, like in the Sermon on the Mount, that the evangelical church puts almost no stake on, almost none. But then other parts of Scripture that they put huge stake on. So even that, I mean, I think anyone can call it the hypocrisy in any part of the evangelical church in America because we all – and I do this too. I mean, I'm equally guilty. I'm, by no means of my excuse from this, but we tend <laughs> <Yet> to <glutton. laughs> well, we tend to focus on parts of scripture that we really think are are important, and we tend to either try and justify or not emphasize the parts that we think aren't as important or that are more controversial, like loving the poor or loving your enemies. We tend to kind of discard those things. So, define your terms. What do you mean by that? Um. I think it comes back to what I was saying before about the responsibility that we have in the depth of our study of scripture. And I, I understand that what you're saying is really smart people throughout thousands of years of history have done this and have come up with different answers. And I get that. Um, that's what I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> that's true. I, I don't disagree with that statement. I disagree with using that truth as an excuse to say, well, therefore, the truth in this passage is unknowable. We can't know it. I think the what we need to do is continue to study that and to continue to go back to that. And I think that when we have a central authority of Scripture versus this disjointed authority of whatever God is saying to you or whatever you're hearing from the spirit or experiencing. Um, you know, that's what I was trying to say in that is that scripture, despite being able to be taken in different ways is still a central authority that we can all go back to. Um, it's can I respond not, to that real quick? Yeah. And Rob, are you cool if I respond first? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all you, Rob. I'll, I'll give it to you. I agree with what you're saying overall, Jordan. I don't think uh -huh. it's really wrong. And I don't, uh, for the record, I don't think it should be an excuse. I Just two quick points, and I'll hand it to Rob. I, I would think what I'm saying is we should be okay respecting another denomination or tra faith tradition in the Christian faith, their reading of the same passage differently. Yeah, well, because we, we don't know, because I can't necessarily know 100% for sure whether you're right on that or I'm right. And right. I think I do agree with you. We need to accept that premise that neither of us, we, neither of us know necessarily if I'm 100% right or if you're 100% right. Right. And I, I think there's room for a healthy debate. And, but I think ultimately, 
when we start drawing lines and calling people heretics, we throw that word, we throw mm-hmm. that word around way too much. You know, I think we run into trouble because then we're what we're saying is I know that how I'm reading whatever I think I'm reading, I'm reading it better than you, and I'm discounting your your um, your knowledge level, your faith background, your um, educational level, and saying I don't care. The other right. thing I was going to say, and then Rob, it's all you, is that you're. I think you're hitting at the greatest strength and simultaneous weakness of the Reformation. And the greatest strength of the Reformation is that it said to the people, every person should have a copy of the Bible and be able to read it and interpret it for themselves. I mean, that mm-hmm. was the, that's the that's the core of of that because the Catholic Church, obviously, their view is. The Pope interprets scripture, and we all believe his interpretation, and we follow along. Reformation comes along and says, that's garbage. You're, you're, you're withholding from people, and we're going to do our job to get the Bible in the hands of as many people as possible. That's the good side. But the simultaneous downside is that you're, you have this issue where ultimately, ultimately there's no high authority to make the call on who is reading this particular thing the right way. Now, if I had the choice of, of A or B, I'm going to take this option. I'd rather have the option <laughs> to, 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 to debate and to discuss. So don't take, don't take me wrong. I'm not saying we should go back to a Catholic mo- model. All I'm saying is that is that the biggest weakness of the Reformation is also this, where it's like, well, I mean, who really says? Because if the, if the, if the heartbeat of the Reformation is I can read scripture for my own and come to my own conclusions, then you have no authority to be able to say to me, hey, Tim, you're reading the scripture wrong, because guess what? That's what the Reformation was built off of. Hmm. All right, Rob, go ahead. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, How long I, have we been going? I know. Uh, close to an hour. Need right, a breather. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to say that I, I definitely agree with what Jordan's main point is, is we Thanks. should always be going back to. <laughs> we well, always, we're done here, guys. <laughs> we should always be like the Bereans in, what was it, Acts 17, yeah. that mm-hmm. searched the scriptures to see if what was being taught was so. And that should always be our, our thing. But I, I, I also agree with what we've been saying that, there is a personal onus on not just ignoring something because, well, we can't, I can't make a decision because pe- smart people have been arguing about this for generations and I'm, ne- I'm too stupid. I'm never going to have to figure this out. I, I think that's a cop out. And I think there should be in our personal study and appreciation of the word of God that we should come to some of those issues and at some point, all of those issues and make a decision. I think that this is what the scripture is teaching and this is why, and we should know why mm-hmm. we believe what we believe. But I think where we get into trouble is when we get, this is why I believe what I believe. We stick a hard flag, a hard pole in the ground and saying, I'm going to live or die right here because this is what I believe. And I think that's the dangerous territory because it leaves no room for better interpretation or more correct truth or a better rendering or understanding of certain passages, whatever they would be. And I think that's where such like a church community comes into play because that's the, that is the venue where people can come 
And I think that's, that's the spirit of what Paul was talking about, or Peter was talking about in his second epistle, when he said, um, prophecy is of no private interpretation. I think he had in mind, I, I understand the context of what he, what he wrote, but I, I think we can apply that to a local church body, that the, the scripture isn't something that I go home and study and make, make up my mind, and, and that's what it is. But it should be in the uh, completion of Holy Scripture and as well taking it to my local church and being like, hey, I came across this passage and this is what I've been studying and appreciating and what do you guys think and have an open dialogue and have other people chime in. And we should be open to correction on truth, correction on passages, correction on interpretation such that we're building each other up. And I really like your point, Jordan, is that together we should be working towards a more unified understanding of the scripture in light of the scripture, not, mm-hmm. not going whichever way. And, and I think that's what, that's what your point was um, in that, well, what's God saying to you outside of what he has revealed in scripture? Because that's, that's where God has revealed his truth is scripture. It's not sitting over by the pond with your head in a golden disc. Wait, I have a question about that. <laughs> Are you saying that God cannot reveal any other truth than what he's already revealed in scripture? Meaning not, I'm not saying ongoing revelation where like, this is like from the, you know, this is a new authority from God. I'm saying like, can God not personally speak to someone and, and commune with them? If it's contrary to what's written in the scripture, no. Right. Right. And I don't think anything that Bethel has done is quote unquote contrary to scripture. It might be, uh, (laughs) I've only listened to an episode and a little bit of that podcast and I'm already a little bit like, well, I don't know about that. We're going to do a full, (laughs) yeah, I know. Here's a preview. (laughs) We're going to go part by part through that. Cause I, I am anyway, that's a different discussion. But my point is that I, that, that, that was my question, Rob was like, do you think then, because I do. Okay. Hold on. My thought is sometimes, and maybe, don't crucify me for this, no pun intended, <laughs> but sometimes I think people treat the Bible as the fourth part of the Trinity, and it it's is. not, and it's really important that we realize that it's Wait. not, it's not the fourth part of the Trinity, it is not as equal to God, it's how God has spoken to us in a lot of ways, and has revealed ultimately Jesus for sure, however, it's still not the fourth part of the Trinity, and sometimes we treat it like that. Right, because... I, I think you would agree that Christ is the revealer of God to mankind. God has revealed himself in creation, but Je- or John chapter 1 says the word was made flesh. The, the word of God in that regard was a revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if it's not, if it's not founded in him, then it's not correct. Think about it like this, maybe. When going off of what you're saying, Rob, when Jesus came and was the word made flesh revealed to humanity at that point in time, all they had to go off of was the old Testament Yeah, and Jesus coming and revealing didn't, I mean, and this is made pretty clear, you know, in, in talking about the law and, and the new covenant and things like that, that Jesus didn't contradict anything that was written or part of scripture up to that point in time. And that is why we can confidently say, yes, Jesus was revelation from God. And 
I, and that doesn't apply directly to, I think, your question, Tim, but I think it's, it gives maybe some insight into kind of the heart of God in that situation that I, I to answer your question, I don't think that God is limited to the revelation in the Bible in that he can't reveal something other than what the Bible reveals. But I don't think he will reveal something. I mean, he, I don't, I definitely don't think he'll reveal anything contrary to what's in the Bible because I sure. don't think he can sure. right. because there isn't something contrary. Right. You know? Absolutely. But also on the other hand, I don't think he would reveal something beyond what the Bible has to say because I don't think he has to. I don't think there's any reason for him to because he's given us the word of God. Yeah. You know, he's given us scripture. That right. is what he wanted to reveal to us. And totally. for all of human history until Christ comes back, that's enough. I, I'm talking more about, about like smaller picture stuff. Like for example, right. you know how like a lot of churches, like a pastor will say, Hey, I've been praying about it. I feel like God's leading us to this vision of our church. Right. Sure. That's what I'm referring to. I'm not saying like a pastor gets up and says, Hey, God's given me new words that like are scripture and are inerrant. And here they are. But I, I what I'm saying is I think that, that again, we can pick and choose what we want it to be. We can pick and choose when it's convenient for us. But we, you know, we'll tend to take a, someone like Bethel, who we think is a little out there, and we'll say, whoa, whoa, they believe, they listen to God uh, in their minds way more than Scripture. But then mm. in, in other breaths, if a, if a Reformed pastor said, I've been praying and I feel like God wants us to go in this direction, we're not going to say, well, well, uh, I, feel, I feel like you're too far off of Scripture there because of how we, we preconceive that view of that person. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think this comes back to something you said before, Tim, and I was thinking about how to respond to it, but I think our conversation kind of went there anyway. And you said that when we're, you were contrasting kind of the Catholic model in that the Pope is the authority. He uh, interprets scripture, gives it to the congregation versus the Protestant Reformation came along and said, no, everyone should have this. And you made the comment that now there is no authority. And I wouldn't agree with that. I would just say that the authority is no longer a person. <laughs> Not that it ever was, but I'm saying there is an authority that can help us to understand whether we are interpreting scripture correctly or not. And it's the Holy Spirit inside of us. But and how does he do that then? By our feelings? Well, no. Well, that's what I'm saying is that you, when you get into situations like you're, the example you're giving of a pastor standing up and say, hey, this is the direction I think we're going. I think that falls under the Holy Spirit helping that pastor to interpret the heart of scripture and the heart of the gospel and interpret that into his context and into, you know, the action that his church is going to take in that. Um, and obviously the problem with this is that if you tell me this is what this means and the Holy Spirit told me it was true, I have no way of knowing whether the Holy Spirit has actually spoken to you or not. Well, yes, and he would also be contradictory in many ways. I mean, a Calvinist would say, I believe God revealed Scripture to me this way. And a guy like Leighton Flowers would say, well, I believe God revealed Scripture to me this way. So apparently either one of them has the Holy Spirit and one doesn't, or the Holy Spirit's contradicting itself, or neither of them, or the authority you're talking about, or, or, or I guess what I'm saying is, or God doesn't work that way necessarily, where he's like, well, now that that now that now the Pope's gone, 
I can finally be the ultimate authority of how you read this book. Right. And I didn't mean yeah. it like that. I tried. I know, I know what I said first kind of sounded like that. And I yeah, tried yeah. to catch myself. I, obviously, the Holy Spirit has always been the authority, even while there was a pope. Um, right. But I think, I think there's, in your example of the uh, Calvinist versus Arminianism and the, what the Holy Spirit's revealing to them, I think there is, we'll get to you, Rob. Gosh. Yeah, Rob, give us a <laughs> second. Calm down. <laughs> We're in the middle of something here. That was for I, Tim. That wasn't for you, Jordan. I'm sad. Okay. All right, you're up next, Rob. Go ahead, Jordan. I think that there is maybe, an ex maybe a, a, a circumstance that's not so as extreme as one of them has the Holy Spirit and one of them doesn't, or neither of them do or whatever because i think e even a christian who does have the indwelling of the holy spirit in them helping them to understand what the bible means can choose for whatever reason whether it's pride or ignorance or just um a misunderstanding and not being willing to d dive deeper can choose to ignore the influence of the holy spirit in that moment um, and I think some combination of that is often where the variance in our understanding of scripture happens. It's not because the Holy Spirit is inconsistent. Def I don't think any of us would say that. Um, and it's not necessarily because I don't think you would, Tim's, would say that one side, they're all Christians and the other side are actually not Christians. And that's why they're not understanding this. I don't agree with that either. But there has to be something, therefore, where both sides can have the influence of the Holy Spirit in helping them interpret scripture and then come up with two different things has to be because either to some extent they're not responding fully to the Holy Spirit's leading and to helping them understand what is meant. Because it's like those three things. I mean, if you just look at this logically, there is, if we agree, the Bible, there is a truth in the Bible and it is saying, you know, one, one is right. You know, the Bible doesn't say two things that are contradictory. It can't mean two contradictory things. These two groups of people believe two things that are not in line with each other. They're obviously contradictory. If we're going to say that they both have the Holy Spirit helping to guide them, that Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is not going to say something contradictory to this group and to that group. Therefore, they must be either ignoring some element of the Holy Spirit's leading in their understanding, or there's just something that's keeping them from submitting to that fully in their understanding. Yeah, and I, I think that's a that's a caution. go ahead, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a caution to all of us to be able to take whatever the Spirit is attempting to teach us and take it and seriously consider. And while you guys were talking, I couldn't help but think of John 16, where the Lord promises that when he leaves, the spirit will come and he will direct you in all truth. And, hmm. you know, that's that's basically what we says, what what we were talking about. Um, but I I really like right after the Lord says that, that the spirit's going to come and he will direct you in all truth. He says, but he's not going to speak about himself he shall glorify me. So who is the spirit trying to glorify in his revelation of truth to believers? It's always the Lord Jesus. It goes back to the revealer of God. It goes back to the revealer of truth. Even the Holy Spirit in his work of revealing truth, because you look at church truth, 
the Lord had very little to say about the New Testament church truth. He left the majority of that up to the disciples and mainly the Apostle Paul to write in what a, what a, how a church is supposed to function and what it's supposed to look like. And that was under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But what's the purpose of a local church? It's to glorify Christ. So even in that regard, everything that the Holy Spirit is directing believers and local churches to do is all with the intention that glory and honor and um, truth would be pointing back to the Lord Jesus. And that, that should be our attitude. Whenever we come across something and or we come across, you know, let's, let's take um, Calvinism and... Um, provisionalism. I mean, both sides would argue this point, but what we have to do in situations like this is look at what evidence do we have? What revelations of God do we have through the scriptures and ultimately through the Lord Jesus? And what brings him the most glory? What matches his character the most? And that's where we have to rest until we get better translations or better understanding or interpretations or whatever the case is, we have to rest on that alone. What brings the Lord Jesus more glory, this or that? And if we can rest on that, then we're in solid ground until something else comes up and we can say, you know what? I was actually wrong there. And this brings the Lord Jesus more glory. I think if we if we have that as our mentality, and I'm speaking to myself more than you guys and more than any listener, is if I have that as my mentality, that the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, and the Lord himself will glorify the Lord Jesus, that's solid ground to stand on in terms of any biblical truth. I don't, I think you're right. Um, I was thinking, Jordan, of like how to respond to what you said about like the Holy Spirit. Um, kind of guiding and I I okay I want to be careful I say this every episode I want I want to be careful because I don't want to say that, I don't I don't, I don't want to say this the wrong way but I don't necessarily see the Holy Spirit like a Bible decoder where like as I'm reading the Bible the Holy Spirit's like here's like what it's really trying to say like here's here's the words I'm just gonna feed them to your mind however I do think that like when we do the work of trying to figure out what's going on and we study and we use we use our mind and we use our soul and our spirit so to speak we use all of these different tools that God's given us I think that glorifies Christ a ton and I think that sometimes um and I've definitely been guilty of this I think we all have but if I'm being very honest um right now there have been times where I have definitely said I think God has spoken this to me in his word when really it was just my own mind kind of either making that up <laughs> or something else. And I've, I've, used, I've used God in way worse ways than that. Like, I feel like God's speaking to me about this in my life. And really, it was just me in my head thinking that it wasn't really God. Um, and I think that I've kind of been taught, again, I, I've, I've kind of created this perception in my mind where the way that God, quote unquote, speaks is like this voice in my head and that if he's not speaking, is he really there? I think that's really unhealthy, honestly, the more I've thought about it and try to come mm -hmm. out of that mentality um and that's a whole different episode but my point is that i i really think that ultimately we we engage scripture more with the intellect and with the mind more than with like the holy spirit if that makes sense you know i i just don't see this like encoder type situation happening 
Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think, and that's not what I mean when I say that the Holy Spirit um, helps us in that our understanding. I, I mean, but going back to the scripture that Rob referenced, like he does say, I'm sending you the Spirit how does it say it, Rob, to that will guide you in all truth, guide to guide you in all truth. And, and I do agree with you, Tim. I don't think it's like, you know, uh, you're reading your Bible and there's this voice in the back of your head whispering, this means this, and this means this. Yeah, right. um, and it's probably Liam Neeson's voice um, <laughs> or Morgan Freeman no. or Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Depending, you know, um, or Thanos. <laughs> yeah yeah some i mean maybe the calvinists no, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding that was just the first one that popped in my head honestly um but at the same time i think again i i keep going back to the same point and i feel like i'm repeating myself and i am but it goes back to you know when we are diligently you know like the bereans there's an interesting fact actually about the bereans real quick um, that somebody I heard somebody say recently, I don't remember where I heard this, but if you think about the the situation that the Bereans were in listening to Paul, um, basically the idea being that Paul wasn't like teaching them something that was real close to what they already believed. Like he was teaching them something that probably sounded pretty heretical and out there to those people. And they still went to the scriptures and searched them night and day to make sure what he was saying was true. And it was, and it's that kind of like diligence and that is given as an example to us. And I think um, for us that involves all these resources that we have available to us. Um, and in that process, I believe the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna use the term speaks to us um, loosely. <laughs> <laughs> because no, it's, it's not necessarily an audible voice. It could be. Um, but you know, it's, it's either just him guiding. I think guiding is a really good term because that involves kind of just, you know, almost like bumpers in a bowling alley. Like <laughs> we're heading down this lane and we're heading off in one direction and the Holy spirit is guiding us and saying, Nope, Nope. Like come back a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more towards center <laughs> here. Um, and I think there are definitely times where other influences in our um, search for truth. Sorry, I'm about to sneeze. Maybe not. Um, other things come into that, whether it be kind of, you know, whether it is, Tim, like you were saying for you, a lot of times it's the way you were raised and kind of the teachings of the church you were raised in can kind of come in. And it's good to a certain extent that you've realized that that's not always going to be right because it's not, you know, those people, well, I mean, I've heard you say you love those people and those people, you know, are love Jesus and they tried to do their best, but they were probably sometimes wrong. Um, and things like that in our life can um, get in the way of the Holy Spirit's guidance at times. I think, you know, our preconceived, um, standing either too firm on something that we shouldn't be because somebody down the road told us that's what was true and we've held on to that. Um, but I think as we go through this process, we need to be open to the extent that we're open to the Holy Spirit guiding us, not so much that we're open to whatever influence comes in and says to go in a certain direction. 
I think I, I I like what what you said, Tim. Is I I can I know in my own experience I've had times where you know you open up the Bible and you're like, oh Spirit, speak to me as I'm reading this passage today, and you're <laughs> you're waiting for that light of revelation to shine down on a particular verse, and you know that ah moment, yes. <laughs> and and that's definitely not how the Spirit will guide us in truth. But I have had moments where, you know. A year ago, I was studying this passage of scripture. I was in Ezekiel, and and now I'm I'm reading in John, and there's that inexplicable moment where two points that I'm studying are all of a sudden connected, and it's like, whoa! I didn't even realize that connection before. And I think that's more close to how the Lord, how the Spirit works in teaching us and guiding us in truth, is connecting things that maybe we wouldn't connect ourselves but it's it's taking our intellect it's taking the things that we have put the time and effort and study into and saying you know have you ever thought about these two together and it it just brings those those two truths that we already know and just ties the knot and i i think all of us have had that experience where it it was it was more just a, a dawning of, you know, connection than it was a new revelation of truth that we just waited for the Spirit to send down to us. No, for sure, for sure. I think you guys summed it up well. Um, and uh, got it up. I think <laughs> I think where we need to go from here is to get a scholar on that we can discuss. Um where do we like you know where do we go from here how do we interpret scripture what's the basis and what's the best way to go about that so let's get a scholar on well yeah i mean i think if we can find one by next week we do that if not we'll just have a part two because i feel like um i would like to get into more of interpretation maybe more than uh i feel like we talked a lot about like how to read the bible and we i touched on some interpretation things but i think there's more to go mm -hmm. with that because um interpretation is it really controls much of how the christian life is seen and how it's lived um no matter what culture you're in but in this particular case in the american evangelical culture and how we interpret scripture i think says a lot about our culture and i almost wonder sometimes if if we you know we i know we like to think that <laughs> that like the evangelical christian is like you know not a, not uh, all about being anti-culture but i actually think that we've allowed culture so much to influence us that we read it into the scripture all the time um but that's for a different discussion but i think that could be good to get into for next week because we've been talking for over an hour and this honestly this is some pretty deep stuff i mean this is not this is not milk anymore you know but i think like you guys said to wrap this up for all of us it is so important for the christian out there listening to this to not take our word for it and to realize that there are there's a deep tradition of a tradition of faith happening that we're a part of that goes before us and goes ahead of us <laughs> and the tradition will continue when we're gone and the tradition started before we got here and it's important to realize that the church has progressed and shifted and um, read scripture differently throughout the years while still maintaining the heart of the gospel. And that is a great thing. And that we should not be afraid of, of new interpretation of scripture that maybe we haven't seen before. If it fits into um, some kind of consistent 
um, version of Orthodox Christianity in some way, shape, or form. I mean, I think that's big enough, but also uh, um, you know, <laughs> narrow enough to fit into some categories. So, yeah, sure. I just wanted to say too, as we finish that kind of just tying, you know, that first statement I made about absolute truth and um, the statement you were making, Rob, about um, just, uh, I don't remember the statement you made, sorry. <laughs> I had it a second ago and then it was gone. Anyway, uh, my point just being like, I, th- I wanted to say, I think it's important that we realize that two things, that we need to trust the Spirit's leading in this and his guidance um, and trust that he will guide us and not shy away from the things that seem like they might be difficult for us to understand or that, you know, somebody else has interpreted it differently. So we need to just stay away from that. I think that we can trust that um, he will honor our diligent study of those things. Um, And then the other one is just to realize that like there's grace in all of this, you know, there's, we're not perfect. God doesn't expect us to perfectly interpret scripture um, when we read it. And there's grace for us to be wrong about things. And like I said a minute ago, like, I think for us, it's just keeping our mind open to being corrected. Um, and, you know, whether that's, that's, I think primarily that's correction by the Holy Spirit. Um, but that can, I think that can take the form of, you know, correction by trusted people in our lives also. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, you know, yeah, remind, remembering that there's grace in this for us, you know, it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> We're going to be. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, everyone who's stuck in there and, um, listened, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Um, listen, if you like our podcast, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. It just helps us out. Um, we love doing this. It's just a passion of ours because no one listens to us in our real world. So we have this <laughs> podcast. People will listen to us, <laughs> but no, for real. We, it's real sad considering all three of us are married. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife's tired of, of hearing about it. <laughs> anyway, but no, for real, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, feel free to share this episode. If you have any thoughts, please um, comment on the post or send us an email podcast at coffee, theology, and Jesus.com. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for checking out the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus. But where's the water? What's your plan?